1: Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to spooky week number two with our second edition of Notorious Bitches. But before we get into today's episode, let's do a little bit of chit-chatting, shall we? First and foremost, if you still want to join the Angry Feminist Book Club, I am so excited to begin releasing episodes on Savage Appetites by Rachel Monroe very, very soon. I am leaving for my road trip on Thursday morning, so when you listen to this, I will already be on the road, so I'm doing everything a little bit ahead of time, and I'm really going to do my best to still record while I'm gone and edit and all that kind of stuff, and I'm really, really going to try to get Patreon stuff done as well. But Max and I are also going to be visiting some friends and some family and we're driving and we don't know when we're always going to have internet access or be able to charge the computer for me to edit it. So if things are a little bit all over the place for the next week and a half, that is why. But I'm really doing my best to get as much done ahead of time as I possibly can. But I really, really have enjoyed this book. And I'm very excited to cover the various topics and chapters that are within it. So that will be coming to you very, very shortly on Patreon. You can join the $5 level, which is the Angry Feminist Book Club, by going to patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist. And if you want some book club but also want some extra Madigan, you can join the $8 Feminist Faves level where you get all of the book club content and all of these episodes ad-free, plus some bonus stuff every now and again. And stay tuned for any further updates with Patreon. More of that will be finished once I get back from this trip. Secondly, I wanted to tell you all about the episode that India and I put out this week for Still Learning – It was one of my favorite interviews that we did, and we speak with a man named Hoyt Richards, who is known as the first ever male supermodel in America, really good friends with Fabio. Fabio actually has a very important part of his healing journey after leaving a cult that he had been in for 20 years called Eternal Values. And Hoyt is now 20 years out of that group, and he was such a wealth of information, such a good-looking man, and very, very sweet. I really enjoyed that entire conversation, and I think that all of you would really, really like the episode as well. So feel free to search for Still Learning wherever you get your podcasts and check that episode out. It will be our fifth episode that we're releasing for this season, and I hope that you're all enjoying it so far. I'm loving working on this project. And that is all the stuff I have for you. I don't really have a lot of crazy chit chat or things to fill you in on or anything like that. I just want to get right into today's episode. So, the second notorious bitch that I am talking about this week is none other than Miss Linda Tripp. Linda Tripp was an American civil servant who befriended the White House intern Monica Lewinsky, leading to her recording their phone conversations about her relationship with the president. I find Linda to be an incredibly complicated character. She's nothing like last week's notorious bitch, Leonardo Chinchuli, who was a straight-up serial killer murderer. Linda Tripp is not that bad, but especially when we look at stories how women have hurt other women throughout history, this is one of the first things that comes to mind. Linda and Monica Lewinsky seem to have a real friendship, yet she totally threw her under the bus and ruined Monica's life. To understand how we got to the whole scandal, let's go to the beginning of Linda's life. Linda Rose Carotenuto was born in Jersey City, New Jersey on November 24th, 1949, to Albert, an Italian-American high school math and science teacher, and Inga, a German woman whom her father had met as a soldier stationed in Germany. Her parents divorced in 1968 after it was discovered that Albert was having an affair with a fellow teacher. After that, Linda severed all ties with her father. She graduated from Hanover High School the same year as her parents divorce, and began working as a secretary in Army Intelligence at Fort Meade in Maryland. I wonder what made her want to take on this kind of job, especially with her father being a teacher. It's interesting that she was so inspired to work for the government. In 1971, she married Bruce Tripp, a military officer, and the two had one son and one daughter, Ryan and Allison. The two divorced amicably in 1990. Linda was hired as a White House employee in the George H.W. Bush administration and kept her job when Bill Clinton became president in 1993. This apparently is very rare. When there's a new administration, a lot of times they like to bring on their own people and kind of have a bit of a fresh start. But it seems like they were perfectly fine with Linda remaining where she was. She started off in the White House as a low-level, floating secretary, and eventually moved her way up to an administrative aide where she worked for Bernard Nussbaum and Vincent Foster. Foster was Clinton's deputy White House counsel, as well as his childhood friend. Some believe that Linda may have been eyeing for that job herself. It seems like Linda would have done just about anything to be an employee of the White House, telling ABC News once, The White House was a dream. I would have cleaned toilets with my tongue to work at the White House. Ugh, girl, no. Linda's office was set right outside the offices of Nussbaum and Foster, or as the Washington Post put it, the men who dealt with the White House's most important matters. Her proximity to them put her at a seat of power. But all of this came crashing down on July twentieth, 1993, when Vincent Foster was found dead, apparently as an act of suicide. Linda recalled him leaving the office on the day he died, telling her he would be back, but instead he went to a park in Virginia and ended his life. Foster had been distraught over accusations and criticism related to the White House travel office controversy, also known as Travelgate, which was the first major scandal of the Clinton presidency, beginning four days after Clinton's commencement speech. They really waited no time before the drama started with this president. In May 1993, seven White House travel office employees were fired, which was unusual because usually these employees would remain at their posts for many years. The White House stated that the firings were due to financial improprieties that were found by the FBI during the previous administration, but many believe that the firings were done in order for Clinton to hire a bunch of pals and campaign donors to take over for the travel business. Due to the heavy media attention, most of the employees were reinstated and Clinton's associates were removed from their roles. In the days following the firings, Foster was targeted by several editorials, and he became very distraught over the idea of an investigation and congressional hearing, where he would be called to testify. He began to lose weight, he struggled with insomnia, showing very clear signs of depression. He was even prescribed with an antidepressant over the phone by his doctor back home in Arkansas, starting with a low dosage. The day after he received that prescription, he was found deceased. In Foster's torn-up resignation note from a few days before his death, he wrote, No one in the White House, to my knowledge, violated any law of standard of conduct, including any action in the travel office. There was no intent to benefit any individual or specific group. The press is covering up the illegal benefits they received from the travel staff. He also wrote, I was not meant for the job or the spotlight of the public life in Washington. Here, ruining people is considered sport. After Foster's death, Travelgate was investigated once again and eventually was taken over by independent counsel Kenneth Starr, who would be a major player in the Lewinsky scandal as well. Due to Foster's responsibilities in the White House, his death spawned a shit ton of conspiracy theories that continued to persist even after five investigations that all ruled his death to be self-inflicted. Linda noticed after Foster died that the Clinton officials were acting as though they had a lot to hide. She was very paranoid. She saw them rifling through his office, which seemed to be incredibly disrespectful to Linda. It seems that she really, really liked Vincent Foster, too, even though she didn't seem to like many of Clinton's other friends. In a 1999 interview, Linda said of her former boss, He was a great man. He was a decent man. I remember thinking, because I had gotten to know him when I had worked in the immediate office of the president, that he seemed so ill-placed in the administration. His kindness and his decency and his professionalism made him seem to me at any rate far more suited to what I had come to know in the Bush White House. As you can probably tell, Linda was a staunch Republican, and she made her negative feelings toward the new President Clinton and his wife Hillary very, very known. But Foster's death fed her growing disdain for the first couple even further. She explained in 2018 on Slate's podcast called Slow Burn, "...to say I was dismayed at the beginning of the Clinton administration is an understatement. It was the disdain and contempt for the military, all the while working on Don't Ask, Don't Tell. The reality was that they were contemptuous of the military and that was painful. That hurt my heart." Having been married to a soldier for 20 years and living that life, they didn't want an ununiformed presence in the White House. A year after Clinton was put into office, Linda was moved from the White House to the Pentagon, which she saw as a major downgrade, despite the sizable raise and higher rank and position that this new job entailed. But long before the days of Donald Trump and widespread conservative conspiracy theories, Linda Tripp was a conservative who saw this, in her opinion, as a demotion, as akin to a one-way ticket to Siberia, in her words, as a way to keep her out of the loop of the inner workings of the Clinton administration. Oh, honey, you really think you were that important? This move firmly planted a seed in Linda's mind that President Clinton— was hiding something, and was up to no good. It was while she was working at her new position in the Pentagon that she met the young Monica Lewinsky. Let's chat a bit about Monica's background so we can better understand her relationship with Clinton and with Linda Tripp. Monica Lewinsky was born in San Francisco and grew up in an affluent family in Brentwood, California, then later in Beverly Hills, two very risky places. Her father was an oncologist and the son of German Jews who escaped Nazi Germany— And her mother was an author. After her parents divorced when she was young, she lost touch with her dad for the most part, or at least they had a pretty strained relationship. But she was always really, really close to her mother. She was also very active in theater and in the drama department. She actually has a really beautiful singing voice. I was watching some old interviews from the 90s that she had done with Barbara Walters and so on and so forth. And in one of them, it showed a clip of her on stage in high school singing. And it was so beautiful. After high school, Monica attended the Santa Monica College. While attending school, she also worked in the drama department at Beverly Hills High School, her alma mater, as well as in a tie shop. Now, the fact that Monica was working two jobs while going to college is super surprising to me, especially because her parents are so wealthy. That's some good parenting in my book. Unfortunately, President Bill Clinton was not the first married man that Monica Lewinsky would get involved with. In 1992, she began an affair with a married former high school drama instructor, Andy Blyler, whom she had met at Beverly Hills High. Monica had even volunteered to babysit the two Blyler children, and the affair began in Southern California, until Monica decided to go to Portland for school. But shortly after Monica moved to Portland, so did the Blylers, and their relationship continued. This whole thing is really, really messy and made Monica look really, really bad in the media when this came out during the scandal as well. But in my opinion, these are two men in a more powerful position than Monica in her life that has abused her in some way or who has manipulated her. And yes, Monica makes some really questionable decisions. But I made a lot of really stupid decisions when I was 18, 21, 22, 23 as well. Love and relationships don't have a handbook. And especially when you're young, when things feel good, it's easy to continue going along with something even if you know it may not be right. The fact that this Andy Blyler was a teacher and was married, in my opinion, it was his responsibility to shut down that relationship. After all of that, with the assistance of a family connection, Monica secured a job as an unpaid intern for the White House and the Office of the Chief of Staff, Leon Panetta in July of 1995. That's where that nepotism comes in handy. But she was still unpaid and she had to work her way up. She eventually moved to a paid position in the White House Office of Legislative Affairs in December of 1995. But after a while, suddenly, she was moved to the Pentagon outsiders probably wouldn't have understood why this move happened or maybe they just didn't care she was just a silly intern it's not like she had any sort of high level position or anything what the outside world didn't know was that things were getting a little bit too risky with the monica lewinsky and bill clinton relationship and she was encouraged to take a job at the pentagon in order to protect the president of course This landed Monica Lewinsky and Linda Tripp working in the same place, and they soon became pals in the office, though Linda claims that she found Monica a bit of a nuisance at first. They were a strange pairing. Linda was 24 years older than Monica. Monica was very fashionable, young, excited about life and her job and her future, while Linda was run down, angry, a bit paranoid, and definitely not young and sprightly. She seemed to always have something to complain about, where Monica always had a very optimistic look on life. Soon, Monica began to confide in Linda after Clinton won his election and had promised to reignite their relationship, and many suggest that Monica may have seen Linda as a sort of mother figure, being so far from home and going through so much. Monica began to disclose to Linda that she was having an affair eventually admitting that the affair was with none other than President Bill Clinton. I'm sure in Linda Tripp's mind, she was saying jackpot. This verified all of what Linda thought of Clinton. He was up to something. And maybe this could be the thing to stop him.
0: As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. Grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash Realm. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M. Now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back.
1: On top of all of that, Linda was fighting to remain relevant, and at the advice of her literary agent, Lucianne Goldberg, she began to secretly record her phone conversations with the 22-year-old Monica Lewinsky, encouraging her to document details of her relationship with the president. These recordings would eventually become known as the Lewinsky Tapes.
2: We're getting up and I'm like, all right, I love you, butthead. <laughs> I no. called him Butthead. You didn't. I did. And what did he say? That was it. He just kind of hung up. Oh, I hung up. I was like, Oh my God, what the hell just came out of my mouth? Butthead. Butthead. We didn't have sex, Linda. Well, what do you call it? We fooled around. Oh. Sex. I don't know. I think if you go to, if you get to orgasm, that's having sex. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. It's not having, having... sex. Is having intercourse.
1: There were about 22 hours of recorded phone conversations between Monica and Linda by the time Linda sent the copies over to Kenneth Starr. One of the main topics of conversation, besides the affair itself, was Monica's involvement in a lawsuit against the president that was presented by a woman named Paula Jones, who alleged to have been sexually abused by Clinton back in Arkansas before his presidency. Now a bit of a side note, I actually would really like to talk about President Clinton and all of his sexual misconduct allegations eventually and make that a full episode because there were so many women that were affected by this man and it would be a bit too much for me to go all over the place as I am trying to really focus on Linda Tripp and her relationship with Monica Lewinsky, but I do want to make it known how much he hurt multiple women and put them through a lot of trauma and abuse by the government and the media and by politicians and late night hosts and so on and so forth. And Paula Jones was really raked through the coals. She made a lot of really bad decisions and did a lot of questionable things as well, but she really didn't deserve the treatment that she received. Monica felt pressure to protect Clinton during this lawsuit and Linda was doing her best to get Monica to admit on the phone that the president was trying to convince her to lie on the stand. Monica had eventually signed an affidavit stating that she and the president had not engaged in an affair. In one conversation, Linda said, Look, Monica, we already know you're going to lie under oath. We also know that I want out of this, big time. If I have to testify, it's going to be the opposite of what you say. She said later, I can't be involved in this. I can't be a party to all this ugliness that will do nothing but destroy people. Monica responded, I will have lost the two closest people to me. Linda also recorded a phone call in which Monica told her of the sworn affidavit in the Paula Jones case, denying the relationship with Clinton. This put their friendship on the rocks as Monica wavered back and forth over whether or not to protect the president or tell the truth of her affair. Monica was also trying to convince Linda to lie under oath to protect her as well. From an article in the Washington Post from 1999, it says, Monica Lewinsky and Linda Tripp became both more familiar and more shocking. A sighing, giggling, sobbing soundscape of the American night and a breathtaking study of betrayal. But Monica and Linda didn't just talk about Clinton and the lawsuit and the affair. They also spoke incessantly about little things— For example, in one phone call from November 16th, 1997, Monica goes on and on about a shopping trip she went on with her mother to pick out a coat. Instead of Linda trying to move the conversation along, she asks details about this shopping trip and the coat itself, seeming actually invested in Monica's whole life, not just the steamy romantic parts. Other times, Monica would call Linda sobbing.
2: I was upset. I'm just not like I am now. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't take it anymore. I know, I, I know. Just I just can't. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just...
1: It's too... It's too much for one person. Oh,
2: it is too much for one person. Yes, it is. <sighs> you know... <sighs>
1: They never referred to Clinton by name, but called him nicknames like The Creep, which Linda suggested, or The One, which I'm sure was Monica's preferred nickname for him, at least when things were going well. But things often weren't going well with Monica and the president. By the time she was working at the Pentagon, they were going longer and longer stretches of time between seeing each other and speaking to each other. And really, it seems like Clinton was putting Monica through a lot of emotional turmoil, I've been through this before in a past relationship where you felt like you were always trying to chase this person and trying to make them happy and please them just to get them to notice you or to want you in some way. And it just sounds so devastating coming from Monica. She's this young woman who's put in this position that no one is equipped to handle in any way, in my opinion. But she is so young and she has a relationship with the president. There is no power balance here. It is completely in his court. And I can totally see how Linda could be so mad at Clinton for how he's treated her friend, for how he's running the country, for all of these things. If I really stop and try to put myself in Linda Tripp's brain... I'd be pretty pissed off at someone who was treating my friend this way. And to know that I was also going after him politically probably made it all the more sweeter. But still, I would never betray my friend this way. In another call, Monica told Linda about a navy blue dress that Clinton had once stained when they were having relations. She told Linda that she was going to have it dry cleaned, but Linda talked her out of it, saying, Put
2: it in a baggie. Put it in a Ziploc bag. And you pack it in with your treasures, for what I care. I mean, whatever. Put it in one of your little antiques. What for, though? I I don't know, Monica. It's just this nagging, awful feeling I have in the back of my head. What if I didn't have it? Well, I know that. I'm just, I think it's a blessing you do, and it could be your only insurance policy down the road, or it could never be needed and you can throw it
1: away. But there would be trouble in paradise for Linda Tripp. Linda lived in Maryland when she made her recordings of her calls with Monica, and Linda had gone against Maryland's wiretap law. To this day in Maryland, it's illegal to record any conversations unless you are a party to the conversation and you have consent of everyone who takes part in the conversation. This varies from state to state, so if you're ever going to record a phone call or record someone, definitely look up the laws beforehand. So under that kind of pressure, in January 1998, Linda gave the tapes to independent counsel Kenneth Starr in order to avoid prosecution. She had originally probably wanted to make it into a book. Linda told Starr that she was aware of an affair between Monica Lewinsky and President Clinton, as well as the fact that Monica submitted a false affidavit denying the relationship to the federal court in Arkansas during Clinton v. Jones. Linda also shared that Monica had attempted to suborn Tripp's perjury in that suit to conceal her relationship with Clinton as well. As Linda puts it, she was being solicited to commit a crime to conceal evidence in the Jones civil case. She also told Kenneth Starr of the existence of the navy blue dress. The news first hit the public on January 17, 1998, on the Drudge Report, a very, very, very early internet report, and broke into the mainstream press on the 21st. The story swirled around the minds of Americans for days, and Clinton initially denied the accusations, but they still wanted more answers. Monica's side of the story is incredibly sad and terrifying and devastating. When she finds out that Linda had betrayed her, and also that she could potentially be in some real serious trouble... She was also practically kidnapped by members of the Secret Service who kept her hostage in a hotel room until they figured out what they wanted to do about the situation, until Monica's mother finally came and finally pulled her out of there. Eventually, I would love to do a whole episode on Monica.
2: I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky
1: i have a funny little aside when i was younger there was a app on your computer called limewire which would illegally download music for you and whenever a certain clip was i don't know caught by authorities or whatever was taken down from this website instead of hearing the song you downloaded you would just hear a clip of president clinton saying
2: i did not have sexual relations with that woman
1: I remember being so confused as a kid, being like, this isn't the Beatles. (laughs) Hillary remained supportive of her husband throughout the scandal, just as she had many years before during numerous other sex scandals her husband had been a part of. In 1992, during another scandal due to an accusation from a woman named Jennifer Flowers, she said in an interview,
0: You know, I'm not sitting here as some little woman standing by my man like Tammy Wynette. I'm sitting here because I love him and I respect him. And I honor what he's been through and what we've been through together. And, you know, if that's not enough for people, then heck, don't vote for him.
1: In light of the Lewinsky scandal, she said.
0: The great story here for anybody willing to find it and write about it and explain it is this vast right wing conspiracy that has been conspiring against my husband since the day he announced for president.
1: So in her mind... It's all this right-wing agenda against her husband, which honestly doesn't sound so far-fetched, but that simply wasn't the case here. She believed that those politically against her husband could not defeat him in that game, so they had to go after him personally. For the next several months, the media debated as to whether or not the affair had occurred and whether Clinton obstructed justice. But nothing could be substantiated through the tapes, as Monica and Linda never explicitly named the president. On July 28, 1998, Monica received transactional immunity in exchange for a grand jury testimony regarding her relationship with the president. When the FBI tested that navy blue dress that Linda had encouraged her to keep, it became proof of an affair between them, verified with DNA. Clinton then admitted in a taped grand jury testimony on August 17, 1999, that he had engaged in an improper physical relationship with Monica Lewinsky. Over and over, he refers to it as it not being appropriate or inappropriate. As for his deposition in the Jones lawsuit, Kenneth Starr concluded that the sworn testimony was false and perjurious, which are both impeachable offenses. Clinton was eventually acquitted on both counts, as neither received the necessary two-thirds votes needed, and he remained in office. On January 19, 2001, on the last day of the Clinton administration, Linda Tripp was fired from her job at the Pentagon. Linda, of course, saw this as being vindictive, but honestly, she should be happy they kept her on after H.W. Bush, as that's the typical practice, and in 2001, they were making room for a new Bush. Many say that this and all the other scandals done by President Clinton during his presidency is most likely why we ended up with a Republican president after him to begin with. Thanks for that, Clinton. (laughs) Linda then went on to sue the Department of Defense and the U.S. Department of Justice for releasing information from her security file and employment file to the news media in violation of the Privacy Act of 1974. She reached a settlement receiving a one-time payment of $595,000 in 2003, as well as a retroactive promotion and retroactive pay at the highest salary for 1998 through the year 2000. Although Linda claims that most of that money went to lawyers' fees. She also received a pension and was cleared to work for the federal government again. In 2004, Linda married German architect Dieter Rausch, and they began to live a much quieter life, moving to Middleburg, Virginia, where they opened a German winter-themed holiday store, which they called The Christmas Sleigh. She opened up about suffering from breast cancer in 2003 on Larry King Live. Then we didn't really hear from her for almost 20 years. In 2017, Linda said that she felt compelled to act even though it meant shattering Monica's dreams when referring to the scandal because she believed Clinton to be a sexual predator. I think both things can be true at once, that you wanted to protect your friends and you were compelled to act, but the way you went about it and the ultimate betrayal against Monica was the worst way that you could have treated someone. In 2018, she said she was a victim of real high-tech lynching and said she had just one regret, not having the guts to do it sooner. She thanks herself for saving Monica Lewinsky's life and thinks that she owes her. She complained how virtually impossible it is to get your good name back. She sees herself as a fighter against political corruption and a fighter for truth. But in all actuality, in my opinion... I think she was a sad, bitter, angry person who took advantage of a younger and more naive woman than herself for her own political gain and protection or due to a massive dislike for the Clinton administration. I think supporting and defending her friend was a very, very small motivation that she can always go back to to make herself feel better about her terrible choices. Linda Tripp died from pancreatic cancer on April 8, 2020. In September 2021, FX, produced by Ryan Murphy, released the limited series Impeachment, American Crime Story, which portrayed the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal and the relationship between Linda and Monica. The show's writer, Sarah Burgess, spent a lot of time thinking about Linda's motivations, how her devastation and rage at being transferred out of the White House to what she saw as a dead-end cubicle job and her insistence that she was trying to protect Monica from a toxic situation with the president. Burgess says that in the 90s, Linda was portrayed as a figure of pure evil, this classic female manipulative villain with no soul and no humanity. But as she dove further into Linda's life, she noticed that Linda could have been dealing with feelings of being invisible, unimportant. Sarah Burgess calls it a tragedy that Linda had to go to the wrong place and hurt the wrong person, because she herself was hurt. As for Linda's daughter, Allison, she's praised Sarah Paulson's portrayal of her mother on the show. She said, Of course there are some inaccuracies I see as her daughter, but I think she did a good job relaying to an audience that my mother was about loyalty and integrity and doing what was right. She captured a lot of my mom, just how smart and witty she was. Allison said she thinks her mother would have been blown away by the show, seeing herself depicted as a hardworking, loyal, gritty woman who has a lot of integrity. Of course, Allison only saw the first episode and said that she hopes the entire season can humanize her mother. And in a lot of ways, I think they did. I watched the show shortly after it came out, and the biggest takeaway for me was the hurt caused between Monica and Linda after the building of such a friendship. I think Linda did care about Monica, but her own goals and intentions clouded her decision-making. The reason that Linda has become so notorious through time is that she is a notoriously bad friend. She's not evil. I don't think she's psychotic or has anything truly wrong with her. The only thing that I think is a bit wrong with her is her political views. (laughs) But other than that, her biggest mistake in her life was really being a bad friend and I truly feel for Monica for everything that she went through on top of losing a person who she really thought had her back Linda is complicated and she's definitely a notorious bitch all right thank you so much for listening to another episode I have two more women that I'm covering this month for the notorious bitches series and I'm so excited to share those episodes with you If you have any suggestions for future episode topics though, please feel free to email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or shoot me a direct message on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist and be sure to follow the Instagram page while you're there. If you love the show and you think others would too, I would also really appreciate a review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And feel free to share an episode with your friends. And don't forget to listen to a new episode of Still Learning that's actually already out right now because we put it up early. And you can listen to me and India's interview with the amazing supermodel Hoyt Richards on his healing experience after leaving the Eternal Values cult 20 years ago. And don't forget to follow your Angry Neighborhood Feminist on Patreon. You can join the Angry Feminist Book Club for $5 a month, or you can join the Feminist Faves level for $8 a month by going to patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist. Dorothy is crying behind me, so it looks like it's time for me to take a pup out for a walk. Good timing, because that's all I have for you today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye!
2: I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Nowadays, trends and news cycles change faster than we can blink. But there are some things that withstand the test of time. And if you're looking for a connection to something timeless, and maybe also a glimpse of life at a slower pace... I believe everyone can relate to the very human experiences explored in Jane Austen's novels. And that's where I come in. My name is Alison Larkin. I'm a writer, comedian and narrator and host of The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin. I spent a lot of my childhood in the part of England where Jane Austen lived and wrote... And now that I live in the States, nothing gives me a sense of homecoming quite like narrating her books. On this show, you'll listen to award-winning narration. I'll give myself a pat on the back for that, as well as conversations with actors, writers, and other fascinating people who all share a passionate love for Jane Austen. So please join me as we embark on a wonderful journey through Jane Austen's work. Be sure to listen and subscribe to The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin, wherever you get your podcasts.